The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 16th, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life, she can rest so easily She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Wow, what a wonderful, beautiful day, beautiful weekend here in Sonoma County. Well, happy belated Mother's Day. I hope you all missed us last week. Uh, May 8th, as you know, we celebrated Mother's Day. And because due to Ken hurting his back, which is now on the men, thank goodness, we had to cancel the show. To continue the acknowledgement and importance of Mother's Day, uh, because it plays such an important history, we're going to be playing the Mother's Day proclamation that I do every single year, uh, written by Julia Ward Howell. And you know, motherhood to me is sacred. It's a sacred obligation. And because of that, women who are the ones who give birth and have full responsibility for the care and nurturing of that life, in my mind, it is a lifetime commitment. And I just do not understand all the rigmarole that's going on with the Supreme Court and that leaked thing about the abortion and all that stuff. And we're gonna, I'm gonna talk a little bit about it as we, as we get into the show. Uh, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm thrilled, actually. I have two special guests with me in this, this morning, and they're joining me in the studio, so I can just look right at them. Uh, Marie Bermaris Downing, who is an assistant professor of theater arts and also the performance, uh, art performance, and the, she is the director of the uh, acting program at Sonoma State University, which is my alma mater. Really happy to have her here today. And Riley Mitt, uh, Milton, who is one of the actors in the production, and that's called Real Women Have Curves. I have to have a confession. You know, every time I, every time I hear the title, I think, yeah, Real Women Have Curves. I never had curves. I don't know what happened to me. I, I was always straight down. But I'm still a woman, and I still feel very proud about it. And I do have certain curves on my body. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful, a wonderful play. It was a movie about uh, maybe about 20 years ago. So I'm really excited. In fact, next weekend, no, actually this weekend, my daughter and my granddaughter and I are going to go. Uh, we are going to be uh, seeing the play. I'm really excited about it. For today's interview, we'll be talking about the show being featured at the Sixth Street Playhouse. Like I said, it's called Real Women Have Curved. We'll be talking about the play and some of the challenges of being a director and being a performer on stage. I mean, oh, I'm just really excited about it, actually. And also, I have one, I have one special announcement to make, and that is mark your calendars for June 18, 2022, and that's going to be the uh, annual Juneteenth happening at Juneteenth celebration happening at the Martin Luther King Jr. Park in Sonoma County. 
But I think even though it's a little bit early, people need to mark their calendars. And we're really excited about it. I'm on the board of directors uh, with Nancy Rogers. And what's so exciting about it is we're going to be able to go to the park this year. We're going to have lots of music, lots of food, lots of wonderful things. And also, it's an opportunity for African-American people and Caucasian people in the community to come together to study history and to understand some of the struggles that people have gone through in order to be free. I mean, it's really, really interesting, you know, when you think about freedom. You know, I've been listening to the radio. I've been listening to all the different uh, opinions on the on the television about this whole thing about the Supreme Court and the leak and all these other things around abortion. I mean, it's really, really very scary. And you know, I want to read something that I found uh, on the on Facebook that I really think is very interesting. You know, as you know, I have taken this stand as long as I've been on the radio. I'm not for abortion, I'm not against abortion, I'm for a woman's right to choose. It's none of my business, it really is, and it's none of any man's business. And and thing that's what's really interesting to me about what's happening today is a lot of stuff is coming out saying, why aren't men responsible? You know, why aren't they the ones? Why don't they get vasectomies? Or or why don't they why aren't they charged when a woman gets pregnant where all of a sudden the whole burden is on her? I mean, it really is very, very interesting. And then all the rigmarole, when you look at the, we just had a shooter, 18 years old. He just killed 10 people. And yet we're worrying about the fetus and all this other stuff instead of getting some gun control over. I mean, why aren't we looking at gun control rather than looking at helping women make a choice when it's none of our business? So I want to read something that I read that I think really puts it right in a real strong perspective. This whole war against women, that's what I call it, a war against them having the right to choose for their bodies, right to choose if they want a child or if they do not want a child. It, I don't understand it, to be honest. I have to scratch my head every time I hear somebody talking about it. So I want to read this to you. If it was about babies, listen, if it were about babies, we'd have excellent and free universal maternal care. You wouldn't be charged a cent to give birth, no matter how complicated your delivery was. If it was about babies, we'd have months and months of parental leave for everyone. You know, I remember when I had my daughter, it was very important that I was able to stay home for at least three months. The first three months of her life were so important. If it was about babies, we'd have free lactation consultants, free diapers, free formulas. I mean, look at the shelves today. I mean, there's a lack of baby formulas. I mean, how does that happen? If it was about babies, we'd have free and excellent child care from newborns on. If it was about babies, we'd have universal preschool and pre-K and guaranteed after-school placements. You know, it's just, when I, when I think about this, guaranteed after-school placements. You know, I, I was a late, a late going back to school student. I went back to school when I was 30 years old. I went to Los Angeles City College and I was a single parent. We wanted to start a daycare center there were so many, this was in the 70s, there was a, an onflux of women coming back to school. And they had children. 
there were many, many, many single mothers. I was really shocked because I always thought I was the only one. And here's all these single mothers coming back to school. And so we formed a coalition, and we tried to get daycare. Oh, my God. You think that we were asking for a zillion dollars. We never got it. We never got the daycare. There was no money, the insurance, the obligations, the liabilities, on and on and on and on. So that was just an example for me about how hard it was. And then when I was marching for abortion, when it, before Roe versus Wade came into being, when we were just starting to legalize it, the only reason I was marching is because my aunt had an abortion, a backdoor abortion, and almost died. And when I thought of the possibility of it becoming legal, that God forbid something had happened to my daughter or friend or something, that they would have the opportunity to be taken care of in this way, I was right there, and I can't believe it. Here it is some 45, 50 years later, and we're still, we're still fighting. And you know women, the women out there, each and every one of us, I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care if you're a Democrat, I don't care if you're a Green Party, I don't care if you're an Independent, a Democrat, I don't care who you are. If you're a woman, you have got to stand up with all women for the right to choose, to have dominion, dominion over your body and dominion over your child's body while you're raising it. You know, before you know it, they're going to start telling us we can't take birth control. I mean, gee, wouldn't that be great? We can't even feed the people on the planet now. And, and they're saying you're not, going to have, you're not going to have birth control. So that's my little rant for the day. You know, I know, I know all of us have, that, have this on our mind. It's a very serious situation. I really want to encourage my listeners, write your congressmen, write your senators, write your locals. You know, local people have a lot to say also. You know, you got to put pressure on them. you got to get pressure that they stand up to Washington and say, no, you're not going to do this to women. They have a right to choose. And besides, it's unconstitutional. Why are we, why are we, I, I just, I don't even, I can't get into it anymore. Anyway, as we do every Monday, we do the, what I love is called Our History is Our Strength. Now, why do I love it? Okay, I'll tell you. The first thing is because when I hear what some of these women have done, trust me, it gives me a lot of confidence to move forward also. Well, here's, uh, here's something that happened on May 12, 1968. I think this is great. A 12-block Mother's Day march of welfare mothers was held in Washington, D.C., led by Carota Scott King, that was Martin Luther King's wife, which she was accompanied by Ethel Kennedy. And the reason that they were marching is because once again, once again, trying to get women's right to choose. And that's what Roe versus Wade is all about. They want to take that away. Then on May 15, 1938, this is really interesting. I mean, this is May 15, 1938. That means we only had the vote for about 18 years. Diane Nash, a civil rights activist and leader and strategist of the student wing of the civil rights movement, her efforts included the first successful civil rights campaign to integrate lunch counters. Now, can you imagine what she went through to integrate lunch counters? I mean, these guys had dogs out there and guns out there just because you wanted to sit down and have a meal with everybody. I mean, when 
when you start thinking about it. I mean, that was my time when I was a youth. That was all going on. And she was the one of the co-founders of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. And SNCC was very, very popular. In fact, they were the ones who were going down south and were trying to register people. And I don't know if you remember those three young men that were killed. They were all SNCC members, and they were trying. All they were trying to do was give people the right to vote, to help them vote. I mean, can you believe that? And they found all three of them dead. And of course, one of them was a Jewish mother. And you know, you don't stop a Jewish mother. I mean, she fought till, till her death to make sure that her son got some justice. And also, she was co-initiating of the Alabama Voting Rights Project and working on the Selma Voting Rights Movement. Amazing, amazing woman amazing woman. So it, it's so important that we acknowledge these women. These, were the, these are the shoulders that we're standing on. These are the women who made it possible for so many wonderful things to happen in this world. Well, I have two happy birthdays here that I think are very important. On May 16, 1902, can you imagine being born in 1902 and being an activist? My goodness. And she made her transition in 1986. That was Elizabeth Nord. She was a labor organizer. She was one of the leaders of the great, exi uh, the great textile strike of 1934 and the first woman to serve on the executive board of the Textile Workers Union of America. Wow, can you believe that? 1902, she was born, and then 1986, she made her transition. And then on May 18th, excuse me, May 17th, 1917, rather, excuse me, 1912, she made her transition in 2006, Mary Beatrice Davison Kenner. She was an African-American inventor, most noted, listen to this, for the development of the sanitary belt. You know, when I did research on that, I thought to myself, what women went through before this woman invented this product? I mean, the thought of it is just mind-boggling to me. So happy birthday to Mary Beatrice Davison and also to Elizabeth Nord. And thank you, ladies. I know that you're our ancestors. You're the ones who are standing on the shoulders. I know that you, I get this feeling that you can hear me for some reason. I mean, maybe that's a little bit weird, but sometimes I just feel that way. Well, we're going to take a little musical break here. It's not really a musical break. We're the song or the, the, the uh, piece that I'm going to be playing is the Mother's Day Proclamation by Julia Howe and is recited by Gazelia Rowe and was written, like I said, by Julia Ward Howe. And what's so interesting, just to give you a little backstory on uh, Mother's Day, the Mother's Day Proclamation, after the Civil War was over, uh, Julia Howe and a group of women went to the battlefield. They wanted to help the soldiers that were injured. And what they came across was baskets and baskets and baskets of arms and legs and feet. And when Julia Ward Howe saw that, she said to herself, she says, this has got to stop. And she wrote the proclamation. So we're going to listen to it now. It's a short piece. And then when we come back, I'm going to do a little bit of conversation about it to just give a little bit more of a backstory. And then after, we'll take another break after that, and we'll have our two guests on. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's go ahead and play the Mother's Day Proclamation, uh, recited by Gazelia Rowe. By Julia Ward Howe. Arise then, women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts. Whether your baptism be of water or of tears, say firmly, we will not have questions answered by irrelevant agencies. 
Our husbands will not come to us, reeking with carnage, for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy and patience. We, the women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. From the voice of a devastated earth, a voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe our dishonour, nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plough and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace. Each bearing after his own time the sacred impress, not of Caesar, but of God. In the name of womanhood and humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and the earliest period consistent with its objectives to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. Oh my goodness, the great and general interest of peace. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm 82. I've been imagining peace ever since I can remember. From the day that I was conceived, there's been war. I mean, not just born, but conceived. I mean, because I was born in 1940, and 1939 was when Hitler started marching across Europe. So, I mean, from my whole lifetime is war. Just the idea of peace, just the word peace, it just sounds so good. Peace on earth. Peace be with you. Oh, well, anyway. For you guys just joining, I want to remind my listeners that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, or women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And for this segment of the show, I will be talking a bit about Mother's Day and its history. And there's a lot of information, I'll tell you, on the Internet, and you need to read it. Because it is our history. It is our history. You know, while countries around the world celebrate their own Mother's Day at various times throughout the year, uh, several countries, including the United States, Italy, Australia, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, and Turkey, celebrate it on the second Sunday of May. This year it was May 8th. Well, a little bit, just a little bit of history. I'm going to read. I'm going to read this to you, so I don't. I don't forget to mention anything. And I think this is really important to understand. In the United States, the origin of the official holiday go back to 1870. 1870, and we're still struggling as women. I mean, come on. I mean, it's it's just mind-boggling. When Julia Ward Howe, an abolitionist best remembered as the poet who wrote the hymns, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, worked to establish a Mother's Peace Day. Howe dedicated the celebration to the eradication of war and organized festivities in Boston for years. She authors the piece you heard during this musical break. It is called the Mother's Day Proclamation. It grew out of the experience that Howe had when after the Civil War ended, she and a group of mothers went to the battlefield and saw baskets of young soldiers' arms and legs. 
This motivated her to organize a yearly Mother's Peace Day. So that's the original Mother's Day was called Mother's Peace Day, was making everybody aware of the harm of war. You know, the, fa the phrase in the proclamation that speaks out to me, just listen to this. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injured theirs. If only. Do you realize how war affects children? They never recover from it. You know, you could talk to people that were young people that survived the Holocaust that were young. They never get over it. They never forget it. It's just, it, to me, it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of, of, uh, of resources. Well, to continue on with the history, in 1907, Anna Jarvis of Philadelphia began the campaign to have Mother's Day officially recognized. And in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson did this, proclaiming it a national holiday and a public, a public expression of our love and reverence for all mothers. So right away, they took the Mothers for Peace out. Now, it's, now it became candies and flowers. Today's commercialized celebration of candy, flower, gift certificates, and lavish meals at restaurants bears little resemblance to Howe's original idea. There is nothing wrong with that. However, we need to pay attention to those words. If we believe our children are the future, well, we all must put some effort into making it a better future and solving some of the overwhelming problems we are facing today. We cannot put our faces in the sand. As a woman, we must speak out for peace and justice. And I say, you know, I worked very hard with Andy Lopez's situation. And boy, I'll tell you something, those young people, when I heard them chant, no peace without justice, no peace without justice, no justice, no peace. I mean, it really had a huge impact to me. And above all, above all, we have the right to have dominion over our own body. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's this right to life. You know, it's the, it's the fetus's life, and, and, and God made it. Well, you know something? This is the way I feel. If that woman who makes a decision, and I have never met a woman who said, oh, I'm going off to get an abortion. I'm so excited. I never met a woman. It's always been a deep, deep thinking process. And many women, they say, no, you know, we're going to keep the baby. But the ones who don't want them should not have them, especially if they've been raped or incest or some of the things that go on. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. And it goes back to the Mother's Day proclamation. We're here, they're trying to have a Mother's Day for peace and to recognize that these, these are your sons. These are your son's legs that are in that basket. These are your son's feet that are in the basket. Your son's arms are in the basket because of war, which was unnecessary. And guess what? We thought that would be the last war we ever experienced. But, you know, as I said, since the day I was born, conceived, we've been at, we've been at war. Okay, well, that's a lot to think about. But, you know, that's what Women's Spaces is all about. Start thinking. And 
take your power. You know, as women, we are the most powerful entities on the planet. We bring forward life. You know, we go to our garden and we plant a seed and all of a sudden we have a beautiful tomato. Well, with a woman, a, man, a seed is planted in her by a man and here comes this beautiful child that we're all ooing and aahing over. But we have to recognize that that child needs a future. And the best future they can have is to have peace on earth and goodwill to all and justice, justice with a capital J. Anyway, we're going to take a musical break. And I love this song. You know, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I, I really feel there must be some sort of fairy sitting on my, on my shoulder when I pick these songs because this song is so perfect for this uh, wonderful play that we're going to talk about, Real Women Have Curves. I love that title, Real Women. I just, I visualize all these beautiful curves. I remember when we were at Sonoma State one time and we all decided we're all going to undress. And actually there's, a, there's what I hear a little gossip. There's a, actually a part in the play where everybody kind of, shows themselves off let's put it that way but I remember when when I went to Sonoma State and we were all we closed the the blinds in in the uh in the in the classroom you know and they brought out these speculums you know we're all going to research and look at each other and I went oh my god I mean I was so conservative and I thought to myself wow this is going to change me well I'll tell you something it did change me I was never the same after that experience so we're going to have a wonderful musical break and the song I'm going to play and I love it's by Betsy Rowe and the, and the uh, Women's Choir. She's one of my favorite, just one of my favorites. It's called Open the Door and Let Her Through. Think about that tile, title, Open the Door and Let Her Through. In other words, let us have a voice. Let us have power over our own bodies, our own children. When I return, I will be talking with Maria Ramirez Downing, who is an assistant professor of theater arts performance and the director of the acting program at Sonoma State University, and Riley Milton, one of the actors in the production Real Women Have Curves. And these are two beautiful young women that I'm looking at, and I'm really excited about doing this interview. So let's go ahead, Ken, let's go ahead and play the song. There's a song in my heart It's been singing all my life There's a voice in my body That is true There is so much woman Inside of me Gonna open up And let her come into the light Gonna open up and let her through There's a song in my heart It's been singing all my life There's a voice in my body that is true There is so much wisdom inside It's been 
There's a song in my heart, it's been singing all my life. There's a voice in my body that is true. There is so much woman inside of me going to open up and let her come into the light, going to open up and let her through. And then they go into wisdom, strength. And then the last, the last stanza we played had to do with anger. And I know there are a lot of angry women out there. But you know something? We need to take that anger and put it into action action. We need to become activists. We need to stand up. We need to speak out. You know, that's why we do the Women's Basis Pledge at the end of the month. So everybody has that feeling that their self-esteem doesn't depend on anything outside of them. It depends on their relationship with themselves and their higher power. And therefore, when they speak out, they speak with authority, authority only their own life. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my two guests joining me in the studio, Marie Ramirez Downing. Welcome. Can you say, let's hear your voice so we can hear the difference between the two of you? Well, hello. This is Marie. <laughs> She's an assistant professor of theater arts and performance and the director of the acting program at Sonoma State University. And I want to welcome Riley Milton, one of the actors. Say hi there. Hello. And she is part of the uh, production of Real Women Have Curves. And before we give before we get into the interview, I'd like to tell my listeners just a little bit about you. Is that okay? Is that okay with you? Sure, yeah. Okay. Marie Ramirez Downing is an assistant professor of theater arts, performance, and the director of the acting program at Sonoma State University. She has an MFA in acting from the theater school at DePaul University, a BA in theater arts, acting from California State University, Fresno, and is a designated Oh, what is this? Linklater voice teacher. What is what is that, Marie? Um, Linklater. So Kristen Linklater um, was a Scottish-born um, voice teacher that came to the United States in the '60s and just changed the world of voice for the stage. And just a beautiful person who passed away a couple years ago. So this is this is one of your expertise. And so I'm a Linklater voice teacher. I trained with her. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Marie is also on the voice faculty at the Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts, where she teaches in their summer Shakespeare intensive. Oh my goodness, how is that? I mean, how is that for a woman with doing Shakespeare? <laughs> yes, it's, well, it's very exciting. Um, I actually will be leaving at the end of the month to be with Shakespeare and Company um, in Lenox and just work with the 
a, a brilliant theater program um, with um, that was actually started by Kristen Linklater and Tina Packer, and I'll be on faculty with a lot of wonderful women and and, and men, um, and just and yeah, help actors discover Shakespeare and how to speak it and, and make people feel things. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. What a background. How lucky we are to have you here at Sonoma County. I mean, to bring that skills, particularly the Sixth Street Playhouse. That's amazing. Uh, the Voice Speech Trainers Association, you're part of that. You're also part of the Southern Theater Conference and the Western Academy of Management. She is she is elected member of the Board of Directors for VASTA, the Voice and Speech Trainers Association. She's originally from Fresno, California, spent many years in Chicago working on her craft as an actor and teacher, and now resides in, Cal in California here in Santa Rosa. Well, welcome. I mean, what a what a background you have. So let's talk a little bit about you, Riley. Riley Mitten is a young, lovely young woman. She's a recent graduate. Another, we're all we're all Sonoma State graduates. Hey, for Sonoma State. I hope they clear that horrible thing that's happening there with the gossip. My goodness. Uh, Riley Milton is a recent graduate of Sonoma State University Theater Arts Acting Program. While at SSU, Riley took part in the CSU Student Research Competition in 2020 and with her presentation by Racially on, America, on the American Stage. What was that about, Riley? Um, it was a project that I did with one of the professors at Sonoma State, Scott Horstein. Um, it was a competition against all the other CSUs, um, and I did... I presented my work on biraciality on the American stage. I was fortunate enough to be a part of a wonderful production in fall at Sonoma State called Origin Story, written by Nathan Allen Davis, directed by Delicia Turner-Sonnenberg, um, that really addressed issues such as biraciality um, and just uh, the queer community and things like that. So I got to do a research project on it, which was very interesting to take theater into like the academic world so well, give us a little explanation of what's biraciality what is that all about um biraciality um i am a biracial woman so i am half white i'm half latina um and i definitely think it's definitely something that is not talked about enough because it just seems a lot of people seem to assume oh yes you are just mexican oh yes you are just white but it's like no I'm both. Like, I can be both, basically. So I definitely wanted to shed some more light on that and educate more people about that. Well, you're definitely a beautiful <laughs> woman that has both, and I really appreciate <laughs> Thank you. that. Thank you for that for that uh, explanation. Well, let's start. You know, the first thing, you know, I always like to do is because, you know, this is a woman's show, and there's, you know, women always have a hard time sometimes of really following their heart. I mean, like, I remember, uh, by the way, my first husband was an actor. <laughs> and uh, people would say, what are you married an actor? You're never going to make any money. You know, and I, all these different things that go along with in the acting profession. So let's talk about, let's start with you, uh, Marie. Let's talk with you. What was, talk about your beginnings. What motivated you? I mean, you're, you're a beautiful young woman, and here all of a sudden you're going into acting. What was the motivation behind it? And where did you get the confidence? Well, I think it is, it's always been in me. Um, I think growing up in a, a home um, where, you know, a low-income family home in, in Southeast Fresno and not having much opportunities because of um, money issues, um, any opportunity that I, I got to, to do some performance or to go on a field trip or things like that, I, I jumped on because 
um, they weren't necessarily things that I could do because of my parents' situation. So um, I would I would sing at churches. I would do those types of things. My grandmother used to take me all around Fresno singing at different churches and. Um, so that was really first where I started performing, and then I went to a performing arts high school that happened to be in the same neighborhood as where I grew up, and that's where I had the opportunity to choose, you know, three classes, art, dance, and then like, oh, theater. Well, my brother does theater, so maybe I should do that. So that's where it all launched off and where I got a lot of my training at, at Roosevelt School of the Arts in Fresno and then moved to Fresno State to get my training in acting and just kept getting inspired by teachers and fellow actors and, 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 and seeing plays. And I just get, kept getting motivation to keep doing more. And so I went to Chicago. And so that's really the, really the beginnings of, of theater for me. So where did you get your confidence? I mean, you're, you're, you're saying that you had a certain background. And viva la grandmothers. I mean, you know, grandmothers are great. They really guide <laughs> us. I know I'm a grandmother myself. Yeah. So where did you get your motivation? I mean, all of a sudden, a young woman going on the stage, singing all over the town. I mean, how did, how did that play with you? <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. You know, I, I, I have two sisters and two brothers. And out of all of us, you know, I've been the one to be the first to go to college, to be the first to go, you know, to, to leave home and leave California. And I think it's just that this, there's something in me that loves exploration and independence. And, and I was lucky enough to have a mom and a dad who supported me in whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, even if I said I'm going to acting school you know, they might have been a little scared about me going to Chicago, you know, but they always said, whatever you want to do, Marie, because I just kept getting good grades and I kept getting scholarships and I kept having, again, that. So I think that that when you when you look at yourself, you're like, can I do this? And then you keep getting affirmation from people you respect that motivates you. You feel like, well, maybe I can do this. You know, uh, people are saying I can. They're writing letters for me to go do these things. And that's motivating, very much so. So it's interesting to me what you bring out that's so important for people to understand. We're never alone in our plight. You yeah. know, there's always, you got to have that, you got to have that push. You got to have those parents. You got to have those friends who really support you. How about you, Riley? You know, what, 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 here you are, here you're a student, a theater arts student, you know, and now you're on the stage. Now you're going to expose, you're exposing <laughs> yourself. My God, how many performances have you done so far? Um, I think for this week with including our previews and things, we've had probably about like six live audiences. Wow. Yeah. So what motivated you and what, what's your, what's your background? Um, I was just talking with Marie about this earlier. I'm not entirely sure exactly how I got into theater. I know when I was younger, my grand, my grandma also, uh, <laughs> took me to the theater a lot. Um, so she definitely, I think, sparked that passion in me. And I was a trier. I still am. I'll try anything once. I'll do anything. So definitely just kind of found my way into theater, and I fell in love with it. I felt like it was pretty much one of the only things I was pretty good at, so then I just kept with it and told my mom, hey, I'm going to major in college in this. Hope you don't mind. Um, and then after I graduated, I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep going with this. Hope you don't mind. So. So where, where do you get your confidence? I mean, look at, I mean, I can just imagine, you know, being, you know, like you said, you're biracial, you know, and I can just imagine, you know, your parents, all parents have this great vision, and then all of a sudden, you know, like you're going to become an actor, you know? <laughs> so where did you get your confidence? I mean, how, how, where does that come from? I think I'm still finding it. Um, especially with the show, it takes a lot of guts to get up there every single night, um, and no, I'm going to be the one on stage. 
undressing the longest, um, <laughs> staying in there for a little bit. But I think just finding the truth in the performance really motivates you. Like, no, like you have to do this. You have to say this. Um, but it's almost therapeutic to do it too. Like just remind yourself, no, like if I can do this and spread any messages, like it's that I am confident up here on the stage right now. That's wonderful. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, particularly with women's spaces, you know, just both of you speaking your truth and how you you got involved is really, I hope, gives other women courage to know that if you have a dream or a desire to go for, I mean, like yourself, I mean, you're very highly successful, Marie. You know, I mean, their parents must be saying, wow, you know, and, and, and then you yourself, you know, just going to, you know, getting, you're going to be at a major university and you're acting and now you're at the Sixth Street Playhouse. So tell me first, let's start with you again, Marie. Tell me first, what attracted you to the Sixth Street? How did that, how did that happen? I mean, and, and what is so important to you about this particular play? Well, you know what's interesting about how I came to Sixth Street Playhouse is that, you know, there, as you might imagine, Elaine, there's not very many Latina professors that do. Whoops. Excuse me, that microphone just popped up. It's okay. Let's get that back up there. Okay. We'll take it out. <laughs> Does that sound good? Um, there's not very many Latina identifying professors of theater and voice um, in, you know, in the United States. So we all know each other. And so um, my friend Cynthia Santos de Cure, who now teaches at Yale, used to teach at CSU Stanislaus. They contacted her and they wanted to know, it, it, could she um, think about directing this play? And she said, well, I'm not there, but Marie is. She's in Santa Rosa. So I, um, I was able to, so it's a networking of, of, of women who are, are, we're all helping each other and doing the same kind of work and we're not competing, we are supporting. So that brought me to Sixth Street Playhouse and the script is amazing. And so it was hard to, to say no. I know I've got asked a couple of times by the artistic director to direct this play. You know, I have children, I have Little League, I have my own position at, the university and I have a busy life so it's hard to fit in rehearsals for five weeks every evening every Saturday um, but after meeting the cast and and being and and seeing their passion and, and the theater it, it's been a great experience at Sixth Street Playhouse doing this well so far I've heard nothing but good about it I mean I've, <laughs> I we actually went to a women's dinner last night and two of the women went to the play and they were just they said, I'm very lucky that I'm going to be going, that I will enjoy it. And tell you, tell us a little bit about yourself, Riley. How did you get involved with Sixth Street? Is this just your first time, or have you done other plays with them? Or Yeah, this is it? my first time. Um, I had seen a show for a class at SSU there before, um, but I, I got taught by Marie at SSU, and she actually reached out to me and was like, hey, um, I know you graduated and all, but if you're in the area, there's this play I'm directing in the spring if you want to be involved. And I was like, yeah, I'll give it a look. So I showed up to the audition. It was actually my first time meeting Marie in person because we had met during COVID. <laughs> um, so we've only met online. Um, and her and the artistic director gave me an audition and a callback and got a call a couple days later offering me the role. And I was like, heck yeah, like let's do it. <laughs> 
So that's, that's how neat. I came to be at Sixth Street. So is it is it all volunteer, or is there some stipend that is offered to the actors? Or I mean, how mm. how is so? It is that's 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 really important to know. You know that people know that not only they, when they go see the play, they're not only supporting the theater, but they're also supporting actors and actresses. Yeah, I think there's a great balance at Sixth Street Playhouse. They do, you know, they do pay the 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 staff the you know the directors and the the lighting designer and things like that but when it comes to the actors or actually anybody can volunteer and say you know I'm not going to take pay I'm going to do this for the community um, so some of the actors um, are are paid and some of them aren't because they've chosen not to be paid amazing volunteering well community yeah you know community well both of you were involved in the play so now let's let's start to getting to the nitty gritty and talking about it. You know, I I really I really find the the title very very interesting. So why don't we start again with you, Marie? Uh, for, what, what do you believe is the backstory? You know about the play, specifically about the women in the cast. You know, right now it looks like they are primarily Latina. So that in itself is very, very interesting. And, and how was the original play? I mean, how is it different? I mean, I know there's a movie. There's all kinds of things around this play. Yeah, so um, the playwright is somebody by the name of Josefina Lopez. And Josefina, um, this is loosely based on her own life. You know, she grew up in Los Angeles. She dealt with these types of issues of being undocumented and coming into her legal status and having dreams of college and and she also worked in a sewing factory so the backstory is you know writing from her own life and then for the stage and so um the the women in the play are latina because that's who was working in the factory those are the people who did do these jobs and um we're lucky enough with our cast that you know, um, we've all, we're all, they're all very authentic in, in their voices and in who they are. We didn't work on accents or things like that. They, they have their own rhythms in the way they speak. And, you know, not, we, we, we were not concerned with stereotypes in, in this play. We're, we're concerned with authentic young um, women who fit these roles and who could bring Josefina's characters to life. But also you're working with an all Latina yeah. cast you know you yourself being a latina yeah. you know how how does that feel for you i mean what oh, it's that very must exciting. be a, a, a thrill it's it's wonderful it's a wonderful to, for all of us we're having such a great time we connect on such issues especially being latinas in the theater knowing it's been a challenge for us to to get on stage and to have lead roles we're usually the people on the sideline or if you do film you're going to play all the stereotypes maids and things like that and so to be front and center have be able to give roles to latina women and and for us to come together and support each other every role seems equal in this play and so it's been wonderful to work and see all the cast, all the women in the cast become close and hang out together. And we want to be together. You know, it's, it's a wonderful experience. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I'm impressed, I must say. Well, you know, Riley, talking about the play, you play an 18-year-old. Let's see. Let me look at my notes here. You talk about the experience of Anna. You play Anna, an 18-year-old girl who wants to attend college. That's why I felt that song was so important. Let us through. Let us have it. Let us let us move forward. Otherwise, we're going to be frustrated. We're going to be angry, you know, all these things. Talk about how did you connect to this role, and how important was it to you, and how did you prepare for it? 
Um, well, the role of Anna, she's definitely a very headstrong young lady. Oh, we like um, that. Yes. <laughs> um, and I really feel like I am definitely like that, too. Like, I'm very outspoken. Um, I'm not shy. Um, and Anna is definitely like that. And she definitely is trying to encourage the other women to see themselves and embrace them how they are. She's definitely the modern voice of, like, no, women can say no. You have the right to your own body. Um, be proud of who you are, where you come from. Like, I want to educate everyone on this. And I really do feel like I do try to do that, too. Like, in my everyday life, like, be like, no, we can say no. Like, be an advocate for those. Be an advocate for the voiceless. Like, give a voice for the voiceless, for sure. Um, well, it sounds like this play is giving a voice to the voiceless yeah. on so many levels. I mean, that the mm. more I read into it, the, in listening to you, the more excited I get about seeing it. <laughs> So how did you prepare for it? I mean, did you, how do you prepare for a play? I mean, where, and where again, where do you get your confidence? <laughs> um, I don't really know. Like, I'm not like a, one of the method actors or anything like that. Um, I definitely think preparing for it, it was really nice just getting to know the other women in the cast. Um, that definitely helps. So then it's just like you're talking to them and not on stage performing something. You're telling, hey, my castmate do this like so you have more of an authentic performance rather than i'm saying lines on a stage let's just keep talking well you know um, it's, it's interesting the reason the reason i ask about how did you prepare for it because uh, ken and i were in a, a, a kind of a fun theater group you know and and we end up doing a play in a, in, a, mm -hmm. in a small venue and i had to memorize lines <laughs> i couldn't believe it i mean it took me i mean i couldn't believe it just memorizing the lines alone yeah, so definitely a doozy. I feel it. I because it's based off Josefina's life, and she's a writer. There's a lot of dialogue that Anna has that she's just journaling. Um, and I definitely was just. I remember when I first started, I was like paragraphs. I don't stop talking paragraphs. So it was definitely connecting those and figuring out. Well, like, why am I saying this? Why? Why is this important to be stated out loud rather than in my head or not at all? Well, you know, it's interesting when I think about myself going to see the play. I'm so excited. I'm going to actually know somebody, you know, and when, you know, listening and watching you after this interview is really going to be very, very interesting. I'll wave to you at the bows. <laughs> <laughs> well, th the last part, this is really interesting. The first segment of the show was the celebration of Mother's Day. You know, can you discuss the issues of motherhood that were explored and that I thought was very interesting? You know, I want to tell my listeners that one of the things I do is that I ask that my guests to send me five questions, and I also have questions that I send them. And it was really interesting when Marie sent this to me about all of a sudden the motherhood question. I thought this is perfect because we're doing the motherhood, you know, the Mother's Day thing. So talk about that. You know, what, what are the issues of motherhood that, uh, that are explored in the play? Well, I think there's plenty of issues that come up. Um, one of them is is the mother through her, you know, own Mexican culture and what's accepted in that culture and her religion, which she's Catholic. She doesn't believe in contraception. She has eight children and she's 50 years old. And what's happening is, is at some point she believes she's pregnant again. And her daughters, Anna, being young and what she believes liberated, and her other daughter, are telling her, you know, you have a you you don't have to have this baby. This is very, this is your decision. You don't have to listen to God, your husband, anybody. You know, if you're tired of having babies, you know, you should consider this. And there's a there's a conundrum. You know, she doesn't know what to do, 
and if you know if she even has the right to say yes or no so that's explored and um so you'll you there's also this idea that in this particular culture that you know you have to get married you have to be thin so you can attract men and and uh and and they start to see that that's that's not what they want to do they want to be who they are and they don't need to think about you know that 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 that's not that's not what's important that's not what makes them successful women um you know so so motherhood is is explored in in those ways one woman is having trouble because she can't have children and she's you know dealing with why and she again in her catholic faith doesn't know why god did this to her why can't she be a real woman why why did he make her this way and she's she's dealing with that those issues too so there's motherhood is, and then there's of course the mother in the play and how she interacts with her daughters how she supports them how she doesn't support them and how they act and how they're able to still come together well, what's so important about that, it sounds like you're really hitting on the issue of choice. Yes. Because here's a woman who believes a certain way and has had eight children, and it sounds like she's not wealthy. You know, she's struggling, and here comes the, you know, I mean, it, it's, it reminds me, uh, it brings me back to when my aunt, she had three children, and her husband had a nervous breakdown, and she found herself pregnant. You know, and then all of a sudden they come to me because I'm a little, I was, you know, I'm a little bit on the progressive side, like Elaine will know something, you know. <laughs> and so I contacted a friend and we contacted somebody and we did a backdoor abortion. And when, what ended up happening was my, when she started to go into labor, which is how they tell you, it's, you're going to go home, you're going to go into labor, my aunt almost died. Mm. And so I was one of the first people to be out there. You know, and saying, no, we have to make it legal. We have to have a woman's right to choose. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and it, she already had three children, just like this woman already has eight. And look at the look at the guilt and the frustration and, and the daughters and everybody. I mean, I can't wait to see that part, mm -hmm. you know, just to see how it's handled. Because something happened in my family, too. It was very interesting that my grandmother had, like, seven children. And she was pregnant with the eighth one. And my my mother and my aunt tried to convince her to have an abortion. She didn't have an abortion. She decided to have it. And then and then the baby died about mm -hmm. two years later of pneumonia. And there was all that guilt. Maybe that's why the baby died. Because, I mean, all these different things that women go through. So I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. How was that for you as a, as a young woman? Oh, boy, our time is running out. Before we go into that, I'm, what, what I'm going to ask the next question, because we're running yeah. with just really. What do you hope? that people walk away and tell us when the play is going to happen and, and if there's still seats available, although you said it's sold out. So. Well, not all of them are sold out, no. Um, what do we think people should walk away with? I think it's an, anytime I go see theater, I, I want an experience. You know, I want to be able to um, go to a play and feel things and have empathy and, and, and to get angry and all of those things um, and laugh and stand up at the end and clap. And, and I think that... <laughs> That doesn't, that's the theater experience. I think you're going to get this with this play. You know, you're going to um, walk away with a message of feeling like you're going to reflect on your own life. You're going to reflect on, you know, is this something that I do? You know, what, what, you know, so I don't know if there's necessarily um, walk away, do these things. It's think about these issues that these women are going through in this particular world that they're living in. 
very, very interesting. Not only what the women are going through, it's just the whole thing around race, around children. Around, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. One Final words, anything you'd like to say, Riley, about that? What would you like people to walk away with? I just hope that if women come and see this, they feel heard. If men see this, they understand where women are coming from when it comes to certain issues, especially dealing with body image, uh, the right to choose and things like that. I just really think it's an important piece of art to be seen and to be put out there for sure. Well, I want you both to know that it's been an absolute honor to interview both of you and that you're doing this wonderful one, especially it's so timely. Mm-hmm. So last words, any websites, any, anything that you'd like to share? Sure. We, um, we run to May 29th, maybe a possible extension. So don't, so that's also great. Um, we do have shows available Thursday, this Thursday evening coming up. We, we have seats available. I think that would be the great time to come. So please check out Sixth Street Playhouse on their website. You can take a look at the dates. Well, thank you both so much. Any last words from you, Riley? We just hope you come and you appreciate what we're putting out there because we've been working really hard with Marie on this show. So, Well, thank you both from the bottom thank of you. my thank heart. Thank you. Well, that's it for our show. Special thank you to Marie Ramirez-Downing and Riley Milton, both involved with the play Real Women Have Curves. I will be seeing it with my daughter and granddaughter this weekend, and I'm looking forward to it, especially after this interview. A reminder, all the information heard on the show will be listed on www.womenspaces.com. We have some great pictures of the cast. Also, if you want to wish anyone a happy birthday, by the way, a happy birthday to my dear friend Gail Simons. Happy birthday, Gail. I wish you a, a wonderful, wonderful day. If you have any anniversaries, etc., tell you, just email me at womenspaces.com. Anyway, this is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. Previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 16, 2022.